Okay, and with Andy Slater from the Barmy Article fanzine, following the Manchester United women's team. Andy, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Good to be on. Yeah. Honestly, I've been meaning to get people on to talk about the women's team for so long and what with everything that's going on, didn't quite manage it. I follow, but I have to admit, I'm not at all the games, so it's great to have someone who definitely is. Yeah, I've been a fanatic of, of the men's team for so many years when the women's team started up and it's so close to where I live. It's, I started off thinking, I'll get to a few games, but very quickly got hooked on it. It, it filled the gap that, that not going to Old Trafford anymore provided. So yeah, it's, it, it does draw you in once you, once you get access and you, and you see what it's about. It does draw you in the same as the, same as the men's team always did. Yeah, we're just on the eve of the Women's World Cup, of course, and there's a, there's a few United players there. Perhaps a couple fewer than we'd like to actually be Manchester United players. So I, I guess maybe we can start with the elephant in the room. How are you feeling about the departures of Onabache and, and Alessia Russo? I mean, quite a quite a shock. For, well, maybe not a shock, but quite a blow to the team. Yeah, they are very two different questions, really, because they're, they're very different situations. Yeah, we start with the positive on a batch. We got her because of the loophole in in Spanish transfers. There's a, a rule where Spanish clubs have to pay a premium if they buy in youth from Spanish teams, which meant Barcelona weren't going to get her three years ago, which opened the door for us. Now mm. she is Catalan. She's played for as well as playing for Spain. She's played for the Catalan national team if you want to call it that right yeah once so you know she's she's proud Barca she's proud Catalan and she was always going to go back there she's she's given everything while she's been at United for the three years she's she's never caused a problem right up to the end of this season she's she's been world-class probably the closest to irreplaceable that that you'd get yeah. in for Man United women in the in the five years they've been going so that wasn't a shock but it's probably the biggest blow I think she is genuinely world class and still mm-hmm. so young, and she's got so much to come. And you know, she's a fullback, but she's our been our biggest attacking threat. So yeah, right. Ex- extremely sad to see her go, but it was always coming. And we bought Jade Riviere last January, yeah. so she's a fullback. She's not that experienced in domestic football, but she's played a lot of time for Canada, and we've got high hopes for her. So I feel like we were prepared for for Honor's departure. It'll be interesting to see how she fits in to, to fill that gap and mm-hmm. how the team changes, whether we focus more on midfields, because I think the midfield's a bit conservative to allow Honor to attack. I think she's that good that, that the team is structured around getting the best out of her. So we might change might see changes for that. It's not often that the fullback is one of the most exciting players in the team, but uh, no, certainly exactly. when I've watched United Women, her ability to sort of really bomb forward, incredible pace, delivery, Goal threat occasionally as well. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, complete player. And then Alessia Russo, I, I guess that's a shock because because is it the player that wanted to go? Is it the money? Is it the the club refusing to pony up the cash for a new contract? How, how do you see that one all shaking out? It's been a funny 12 months or so because with the Euros happening last summer and obviously the World Cup this summer, she had the one year left on a contract. She... United obviously wanted her to renew. She probably quite sensibly waited till after the Euros. She did well at the Euros. She she made a name for herself, mainly through that back heel, mm-hmm. but with other substitute performances as well. And 
the Euros win obviously added to the hype of all players include, involved in that that tournament. So she came back. We thought, right, she can say add another zero to the contract offer. We hear that United made reasonable offers, that her brother, who's her agent, was quite open to speaking to a lot of other clubs, anyone who would listen to him, it seems. And it, it, it became a circus. And mm. I think that probably contributed to a bit of distraction. And she she's she's got the potential to be a world-class player. But I think for a young player, you can say that they will reach that potential. But she's good enough to be hitting that now. Mm. But she doesn't quite do it. Mm. She's United have spread the goals around this, this season quite a lot. Russo scored, I think, 11, maybe 12 goals. Right. Yeah. But Leah Galton scored the same number. We, we haven't had one main goal threat. Now, it's good to have that. If you get in a proper number nine, do you lose that from around the pitch? But Russo's good enough to be an all-rounder and score the goals, but she's not quite doing it. Right. It might be due to the distraction of the circus around the transfer. might be because she's just not quite ready to take that next step. But it's she's become a player that, while we don't didn't want to lose her, I don't think we'll miss as much as people think. Okay. And the, the, the discussion around the replacements are in the kind of bracket that we want Man United to be having conversations in. There are two Brazilians that we're linked with who mm-hmm. who would be a step up at Russo's current level. So it's disappointing how it's gone, but she's not left with half of the love that Anabache is left with because of how it's been handled. And then we're, what, five years into this team now and last season, cup final, second in the league, so, so close but qualified for the Champions League. I mean, your assessment of where where we're at now, outside of the transfer shenanigans and question marks about whether there's going to be investment or not? I think it's an incredible step up. I think if if last summer you'd have said we would scrape into the top three, which are the Champions League places, on the last day of the season on goal difference, we'd have took it. But instead, at the last day of the season, we still had a faint hope of winning the league. It Mm. was... It was very faint. We, we weren't expecting any Reading to get anything from Chelsea, but mathematically it was still possible. And that was incredible. Casey Stoney started five years ago with a five-year plan to win the league within five years. And when she left two years ago, you thought, right, a few steps back, reset, build again. But we were close to doing that in Mark Skinner's second season. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's an incredible step up. The, the way the team has played the way they've shared the goals around it's it's just been a thrilling season to to be involved in the some of the late goals which to assess the football you could say you can't rely on late goals so much united men's team did it famously in 99 was a big season for for late winners it's been that kind of season There's, there have been games that have been key games where you've thought we're not going to get over the line and then as the season's gone on the same situation you'd be thinking it's going to come. We're going to do it. They've given us that confidence. We hope to see a progression where we're controlling games and not being in that position. But for the occasion, for those for those nights where you're at the game, it's it's you struggle to pick highlights. There are too many late winners against Arsenal at the Emirates. Yeah, the, the cup final. You because you've done it a few times. We're one nil down, and we're thinking we might do it there, and and we had a few late chances. We had a late winner against Villa away. That's Which right, yeah. yeah. We would have still been confident of getting top three, but that kept us 
involved in the title race at that point. Brighton, we beat Brighton 4-0 twice, but then in the FA Cup semi-final, made hard work of that and won 3-2 with a, another thrilling game. So it's the level of the players has, has shot up. The level of of the support has shot up. There's swelling mm. numbers through since the Euros, but also people seem to realise now what it means. that There are elements of crowd that go and just enjoy football, just enjoy some live football. There's been certain games where you can feel a change in the the atmosphere where people realise this means something and the crowd get behind it, the crowd get involved. And that's been great to see as well where the culture of the fan base has has shifted. Yeah. And I mean, Lee Sports Village is is always a question because it's it's so far outside of Manchester and it's fairly difficult to get to, of course. But you talked about the the swelling crowds and, and the Barmy Army there certainly keep the atmosphere really lively i mean it was it was so quick for united to build an atmosphere i mean i've been to quite a quite a few united women's games and it was noticeable how quickly that happened i mean even the championship but where, where does where does that go from here i mean you expecting the world cup to generate help generate a lot more interest in the women's team i th- i think it there are different types of interest there's there are the those that were there in the championship wanting to watch any any team that wears the United shirt will be supported. And there was there was certainly a crossover from people with men's football experience mm-hmm. that kind of got together quite quickly to try to replicate some parts of that in the women's game. And it was quite unheard of at the time that fans didn't have songs, fans didn't have flags. There was very little of that kind of interaction going on. So it was it was great to see that grow on that side of it. But then the Euros brought the Lioness fan base. And because we've got Russo, we've got Toon, we've got Mary Earps, there's been a huge influx of of photograph hunters who five minutes before the end go and stand at the front and put the signs up and block the view. And you know, it's the last moments of a game you want to enjoy. It's all we want the numbers to grow, but we, we kind of wouldn't mind if some fans follow Alessia Russo to Arsenal and, and hold the signs, cardboard signs up at, at the Emirates or you know, mm. just elsewhere than, than in front of us when we're trying to watch the dying moments of a thrilling game. Yeah. So I, I, I do hope that the fan, women's football fans in general get more involved in the football rather than the the accessibility of, of the superstars that, that they adore. You know, you want that interaction, you want that role model accessibility, but you don't want it to interfere with the football. So yeah, yes, we want numbers no, to grow, so isn't it? Yeah, you do. You, I mean, because the men's game is it's almost impossible to access the the players, and it, and in fact, the similar thing has happened there, where you get autograph hunters, professional autograph hunters, sort of mobbing the players, and it's become a bit of a problem. So the accessibility is part of why women's football is is so attractive, I guess, especially to the family, more family audience. But yes, you don't want to the spoil the the viewing, the fan experience as well. At the same time, I mean, I, Arsenal last year got um, a kind of huge average crowd. That was a lot to do with having. I think they played four games at the Emirates and got really big crowds for those. What what, what are your thoughts on the the club playing more games at Old Trafford? Does that change the dynamic of the fan base? It sort of build it and they will come. Seems to work as well in terms of attracting more people. Yeah, the I think we've seen three games at Old Trafford where fans have been allowed. Two of them were this season, 
that was the first time they've done two in one season. There's been numbers like 20,000, 30,000. And, you know, that for Old Trafford, you would think you could attract higher numbers. Mm. When we went to the Emirates, I think we took 3,000 in the away end. There were 40,000 overall. And yeah, they're they're in London. It's easily accessible for anybody to jump on the tube and, and get down there. But with better promotion, I would think they could get better numbers at Old Trafford. Mm. But one of the drawbacks to Old Trafford is you lose that. It, it is still a relatively small number of vocal fans that mm. they're in the the safe standing section at Old Trafford when when we've been when we've had our home matches there, and it's been great to be in that section and and watch the team in a stadium that we're familiar with. But it does lose that kind of... You know, when I started going, through 21 years of season ticket for United Men, I've been to the big grounds, all the shiny stadiums. And what I enjoyed in the early days of watching United Women was the small kind of grassroots stadiums and the way you can impact the game with the atmosphere. And I think we do lose some of that at Old Trafford. But that's partly down to... The way they set it up as well, they're, they're appealing to families to come. They're putting, they're, they're having a band on, in in the ground, not before the match. You know the brass band during the game, which United fans will watch it on telly and hear that in the background and think, is this what women's football is? So you you want the bigger numbers, you want the historic stadiums, you want the players to get the chance to play at Old Trafford. The ones that grew up as United fans will have dreamed about that with no real pathway to do it. So it's great to see them live out those dreams and us get to go back to the ground that we have loved following United at. But they need to I think we United as a club need to do it better. Mm. And I'd like to see that improvement. There is good fan engagement, so hopefully that will that will improve the kind of match day that I expect that I want to go to. Obviously some people will love it, but as as football fans rather than fans of the spectacle, I think the club can can be better at that. Mm. And coming to the team and moving forward, Mark Skinner, obviously successful season last season, does, doesn't stop people moaning about him. But but isn't that true of any football base, football fan base ever talking about the manager? But but how do you how do you feel about him? I mean, Casey Stoney, very young manager, but well loved, departed in not uncontroversial circumstances and, and Skinner's sort of come in and got his own style. So how do you feel about him as a manager? I think the the way he talks in interviews, I think probably isn't necessarily to my liking. It it's all sounds a little bit hippie time, like at times, which I've no issue with that. But when you're managing a football team, I think it, it just sounds a bit strange. But the way he's getting results, the, the player's in my view from from what i see in interviews and interactions after games the the players seem to to love him the the ones that are in that core group of players i, I think he can be a bit slow to make changes i think he's got a small group of players that he trusts mm. and it'll take him time to kind of move around the the players and and build his own squad but i think football wise i think he's doing great it's I, I see him as ambitious he he wants united to be the best he want he doesn't want us to go one nil up and, and hold back, which we have done under him at times. In his first season, there were frustrations where we'd be one nil up, we wouldn't really be very positive, and and we lost a lot of points that that way. But I think he's he's moved along from that. I like the football we play under him, and he's an easy for me. He's an easy manager to support and and get behind and and get on the journey with. 
like you said, all fan bases have the negative elements. I think it is a bit of a strange negative element that United women's fan base has. There's, there are some fair criticisms, but they get lost in a lot of ad hominem. It's Skinner, it's bad. What's he done that for? Right. It's all the Skinner's fault. But I think that probably gets highlighted more because you've got vo- loud voices in smaller numbers. Those kind of voices in Man United men Twitter yeah. is probably 1%. Those kind of voices in Man United women Twitter is maybe 10%. So I think right. I think it's louder because of that rather than that it's prominent. I think when you're in the ground, the, the majority of fans oblivious to the Twitter side of it are fully yeah. supported. Yeah, well, I mean, in, in many respects, that's that's true of men's football as well. And I don't want to keep making the comparison because it's kind of it's unfair, isn't it? But but the the difference between in match crowd and what's important to people and how you feel about the game very different to the mega fan base of 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 the Twitter sphere and all of that nonsense and noise. And it is. And someone said to me once, "Never read the bottom half of the internet." And Twitter is only <laughs> yeah. the bottom half of the internet. So absolutely. Yeah. And so what do we need next season then? I mean, obviously there's a transfer window now. There's a lot, there's been a lot of talk about new players coming in. None yet. Or um, correct, maybe you can correct me there actually. I think, someone, I think someone signed the other day. But no really big names yet. But what are we looking yeah. for in the summer? And how do, how do we progress from what was an excellent season last season? So the one signing so far is Gemma Evans, who was right, at Reading yes. last season, who got relegated. It's that signing in itself... We presume that she's there to replace Tunkara, who's left, but that's replacing who turned out to be our fourth choice centre back. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of admin rather than excitement. Mm-hmm. The conversations that are happening, there's there's a lot of talk around two Brazilians, Carolyn and Jay Z. Mm-hmm. I believe that's how we pronounce it. It's G E Y S E. I believe Jay Z is the the correct pronunciation. That, now, that would be a real turn-up for the books if Jay-Z turned out for you. It, it would, it would. Certainly. And I wonder if Beyonce would come with him as well, if, if that was the case. I mean, uh, I, I, I'd sign us all up. We'd uh, like to see that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, they're the kind of level that, that people have been wanting and that yeah. we probably wouldn't be talking about if we hadn't got into the Champions League. There are some players that are already at the club that haven't really had an impact yet. I mentioned earlier Jade Riviere. Mm-hmm. I believe she was signed with the plan of her replacing on a batch as she inevitably left. So I think that's the right back replacement sorted already. Lisa Nalson was signed and has barely played. She she Mark Skinner likes to integrate players into the squad before throwing them into the team sometimes. There are some exceptions to that, but he, he does like to kind of focus on teaching them his way before they get near the pitch. And I think that was happening with Lisa Nalsund. And then when she did start, she got injured and missed most of the rest of the season. Mm. So she's there's a lot of excitement around her. So she's somebody we've not seen much of yet. And it'll be exciting to see her added to the midfield. But I think last summer, we added depth quite well. We made seven signings and they were quite varied. Kirsty Hansen has been on loan at Aston Villa this summer and has done very, very well. She was a right winger, but she seems to have played quite a bit on the left. And mm-hmm. having her on the left as backup to Leah Galton would be would be a, a suitable situation for me. We've got Nikita Paris on the right, as well as Lucia Garcia, who plays less often, but is very exciting when she does. I think if she starts right, playing yeah. more of each match, I think she, she has a massive impact when she comes on. 
She does. Um, Would you like to see her start more? And, and what's, the, what's the thinking behind her being more of an impact sub? I, th- I think she is she's a lot younger than Paris. I think Paris has a lot more experience and I think mm. that will be vital going into the Champions League, which she has won with Leon. So I think Garcia is 24, maybe. She's not a young kid who's just learning a trade. She's She is a competent professional. I think her style of football is more impactful. And I, I, I feel like when she does start, she doesn't quite have the same impact on the game. And subs can be a huge tool in the women's game. Mm-hmm. And the, the difference she makes when she comes on, maybe to her personal detriment, means she's better starting on the bench and coming on later on. I think that link up, not link up, but that kind of interchangeability with Nikita Paris probably adds to that. I think Paris is good to have in the early stages of a game and you know, a bit more. The experience probably shows a lot more. But if I see either one of those two on the team sheet on the right-hand side, I'm, I'm happy enough. I'd, I'd probably struggle to pick who I'd want both fully fit, who I'd want starting any particular game. It might depend on the game itself. The, the main thing is that we want to add is a goal scorer. Mm. Approaching the end of last season, I was I had the internal debate of, do we want a proper number nine? Or will that reduce goals from elsewhere in the team and will become too reliant? The late goals we've scored, we've, we've, we've managed to score them. So we do have goal scorers. We have players who can who can grab a goal when needed. But then the FA Cup final swung it for me and made me decide that my personal preference would be get a proper number nine who who you'd bet your house on mm. in front of goal. They had Sam Kerr who scores against us almost right. every time they play us. Yes. And that's that's what we need. Carolyn, who you mentioned, plays over where, where I live in the, in the States and NWSL, which, I mean, it's obviously begun, I guess it's been professionalised for, for longer than the WSL Gets really good crowds. My local team is OL Rain. They often play these double headers with the Sounders at, at the Giant Stadium. I don't know whether it really suits them because you know seventy thousand stadium and people start wandering away. But there's good support there, and obviously building up with the the European club in in Olympic Lyon there. But do do you think there's a pathway for more sort of women from who are playing in the NWSL to to come to the WSL? How do the finances stack up? I mean, can can English clubs afford those players? I think, can they afford them? Certainly, yes, as they're backed by the men's clubs. But do we want them to be throwing that money around, being subsidised by the men's clubs? In the early stages, yes, but it needs to become sustainable. Yeah. We have seen some Americans play in the WSL, mainly through COVID, where they didn't have any football to play over there. United got... Kristen Press and Tobin Heath. Right. We saw yeah. Alex Morgan came over and played at Spurs. We have had the temporary American visits to the WSL. Heath then played for Arsenal after after she played for United. So there is there is some draw to the WSL. I think the the standard is getting better. I think from a bigger picture perspective, I think United breaking that top three stranglehold will mm. improve that because instead of superstars having three teams to choose from they've now got four they've got other teams that are ambitious and and will look at at United and think United have got the name but they've not necessarily been playing with the same budget that you would need you expect to need to break into that so other clubs might look at that and think why can't we 
knock on that top three door. And Aston Villa mm. developed a whole lot last season, especially with some January signings. So mm-hmm. there are more clubs getting to a level that, that might attract these bigger names. And and even with the how professional the US game has been for a lot longer, your second tier of players are going to be at a level that, that can compete well in the WSL. So if they can go from second tier in America to top tier players in, in the WSL, then why wouldn't they? The, the wages are certainly rising. The, mm-hmm. the players that are being attracted to the WSL from elsewhere in Europe is, is growing. So I think there's certainly a, a draw for those players to come over, I think. Yeah, you mentioned the finances. It's a kind of interesting dichotomy at United. So the United's women's finances look look very, very healthy, but it, about, I don't know, a couple of million of the five million budget is effectively co-marketing with the men's team, which in a sense is good, right? It's promoting the women's game as well, but it's a, it's effectively a subsidy. So how how long do we take to sort of for the women's team to sort of stand on its own two feet financially and and because there's been this debate in women's football hasn't it should more money be pumped in from either from the FA or from the the WSL the Premier League or Premier League clubs and the men's game effectively versus a pathway to to real sort of organic women's revenue which which will come with a brand new TV deal I guess there'll be a lot more money there yeah it's it's there's, there are different ways of looking at it. You've got with the joint marketing, you, you've got the clouding around which portion of that marketing fee is, should be for the men, should be for the women. If you're looking at it as which each team has, has attracted to combat that, you could keep the marketing separate, but then people will call for one club. will call for unity. They call for equality. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that. If you keep it separate, you want to be seen as, you know, one Manchester United. So it's, it's interesting on how the club can approach that. And you're always going to disappoint somebody. Somebody will either want it to be separate so we can make our own money. Some people will want it to be linked so that we can be seen as in the same bracket as top women players being the same bracket as top men's players. So I, I think there's the various answers to that are always going to annoy somebody, which mm-hmm. is often the case in football. I, I think as the crowds grow, we'll see that money come in. I think ticket revenue for men's teams is a fairly small portion of their overall income. I think in women's teams, it's a lot more mm. substantial as a percentage. United's tickets have just gone up from £39 for a season ticket to £60. And that's still on the cheaper end of other WSL ticket prices as well. There's, there would certainly be room for charging more. Not that I want them to. I'm quite happy to pay £60. I was very yeah. happy to pay £39, but looking at the game itself and what the game deserves and needs, you'd still be looking at reasonable prices if you if you added a, a fair bit more onto that, which would, for the numbers that are coming, if those numbers still came at the new prices, is going to add a lot more income. The merchandise side of it, it's a funny story again because you've got players like Onobachi who rarely get mentioned on the posters and on the advertising campaigns, despite being clearly the best player. But... You're in England. England have just won the Euros. Most of your audience who's going to buy that merch are probably going to be England fans. Mm. So it makes sense to appeal to it. So the you know the Euros winners, as much as I'm a probably quite stereotypical as a United fan that <laughs> I don't really care about England. I like to see an, 
United players do well at England and and get that personal achievement. But it is it does add to the marketability of certain players, and that it's kind of sad to see that they automatically get put up on a pedestal because they're English. But that's nothing new either, is it? From the men's game, it's I mean that's always yeah. a bit of a English bias. United's finance director recently called for a, a hard salary cap in the women's game. It's, it's kind of interesting because I think that has always been completely rejected because of, sort of competition reasons in the men's game. Is that what we need? How did fans take that one? Because there's one the one part of my brain said mm, she's only saying that because they don't want to spend the money. Yeah. But is that is is that what do we need that in order to make it sustainable? I think in sports in general, I think salary caps are a good idea it's in place in in rugby league Mm -hmm. and there are rumors that some clubs find ways around it but it's there to try and keep it more level obviously in the u.s they've got the draft system as far as recruitment they've got a lot of things to try and help the the teams at the bottom find the way back up and even it out i think with with english football if you if men's football has gone gone beyond that I don't think you really can say, well, in women's football, we need to do this. It's like, if you think it is necessary in women's football, then you're acknowledging that men's football has gone way out of control Hmm. and is unsustainable, which it probably is. We're Mm -hmm. seeing a club goes up for sale and only the richest billionaires and even some billionaires can't afford to buy Mm -hmm. a football club because of the way it's gone. So it is unsustainable. The interesting thing about salary caps is in the US, one of the things it's really done is allow owners to take even more money out because it actually yeah. it makes clubs profitable because when you get 20 teams competing against each other or even more, you're taking European clubs, then they all will, they, it's an arms race, they all going to spend more and more and more and more until they get the right players. And across the Premier League, for all the money that is in there, it's value destroying in business speak, right? Basically, you'd be better taking your money and setting it on fire. You'd make more money that way, but uh, well, not quite. But but it, it's kind of an interesting concept, isn't it? I think it's a it's the first sort of sign that people are thinking about ways to make the women's game. They want to grow, but also make it sustainable. Yeah, and yeah, and maybe the current sort of soft salary cap isn't quite working because I think we've we've realised that many of the women's clubs are able to use their the main, I don't know, what's the right way of putting it? The men's team revenue to, to cross-subsidise and it's kind of allowed, sort of. So. Exactly. You mentioned the World Cup, just to, to move track a little bit and you, you being a typical sort of United fan and poo-pooing the England team. Because I do the same thing and we were all sort of brought up like that, aren't we? But then the tournament comes along and you get all excited about it. So what are you looking forward to? I mean, apart from the 4 a.m. starts to... To watch the games, <laughs> what what are we going to see from from this tournament? I think, as a United fan, I think the main draw for me is Katie Zellum's involvement. Yeah, um, right. Mary Oates is England's first choice goalkeeper. That's mm-hmm. established. Ella Toon, she had she came on after an hour in every game at the Euros and and had an impact. So I think she'll probably see more minutes this time, which I think she's one that has underperformed a little bit for us. Mm-hmm. She's such an excellent player that even a good performance looks like underperforming. So it'll be interesting to see how she does in the England team and who she interacts with well, how she links up with Alessia Russo now that that best friend story has uh, mm-hmm. gone the separate ways. But Katie Zellum's the one that, as a United fan, you're most 
personally excited for with her call up. She's club captain. She came, she she won the league with Juventus in their first season, and then sacrificed Champions League football to come back to United in the Championship, such yeah. as her support of United. So it's it's good to see her get the personal achievement of getting called up to the England squad, and I'd, I'd like to see her get some minutes and and enjoy that. You see a family around Lee Sports Village, and it. it the accessibility of that side becomes a bit more personal. You're, you're mm-hmm. happy for people to to go and do their thing. So, yeah, Katie will be the one that that we look out for and, and want to see how she gets on. I think there will probably be an element of the United fan base that will want to watch how England's defence do and mm-hmm. take any opportunity to to say that May Letizia should have been there, which right. I yep. believe she should have been. been. Excellent season, and I think a lot of pundits yep. said the same thing. So it's not just United fans yeah. who are yeah. were surprised about that. So I, th- I think there will be an element of waiting for any little mistake to say Mayo wouldn't have done that. Mayo would have been better. So that, that'll be it'll be interesting to see the uh, the social media side of that that situation. I'm quite happy for her to stay home and, and have a rest. What I did find interesting was Nikita Paris's exclusion. Mm. She went to the Euros after a subpar season for Arsenal. She's come to United. She's She's, she wasn't a guaranteed starter. I think Garcia was probably just edging her out of the team until she got injured. And then Paris stepped up, played a bit up front when Russo was injured. I think I think she's had a very good season for United. And I'm surprised that having been selected for the Euro squad and then done had a much better season, has been excluded from the World Cup squad. Again, I think she's going to be key for us in the Champions League. So I'm glad about that as a United fan. But I think that was a, a bit of a strange strange decision mm. for England but yeah g- keep her home get arrested get her ready for a Champions League push the Champions League qualifiers will be involved in her in October and it's quite a late World Cup so as many players as we can keep her home and, and get rested for that and make sure we get into the Champions League proper the better And but yeah look forward to seeing Katie Zellum and see what she can yeah. push herself onto Feels like she's really earned it. I mean, being in, on yeah. the French's England squad, not always made it into that squad, and definitely seems to deserve that call up and improved as a player as well. I mean, you mentioned Mary Earps. I, I have to say, five years ago, what wasn't sure she was. She didn't play the first season with United, did she? In the Championship, joined nope. the season afterwards when Chamberlain retired. I wasn't sure she was ever going yeah. to be this good. One of those players who's improved remarkably and taking on a real leadership yeah. role as well. Yeah, I, th- I think with Mary Earps, one of the things that you saw at the ground in the early days was she had a bit of a swagger about her. So even mm. if she was making mistakes, she always had an air of arrogance that probably goalkeepers need and players who want to make it at a top club need. So that that was always a, a point that you could see off the ball. It wasn't things that you'd see watching on telly, but certainly as she's walking on the pitch, as she's warming up and in between play, you would certainly see that in the ground and think, She's she's got the confidence to, to to take that step, and I think that's been a huge plus for United as a team in general, aside from just the goalkeeping skills. Because mm. we all like a little bit of the kind of arrogance that Cantona had, where it's it's not the kind of arrogance where you think I'm better than you lot, but it's the the arrogance that says I am going to be better than you lot, and the kind that pushes you on and and gives you that entitlement to to keep pushing for for better. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think all professional sports people need to have incredible confidence spilling over into arrogance. And then there's deeply arrogant, I don't know, Michael Schumacher, 
And then there's some other level, which is hard to reach, which is, I think, Dean Henderson levels. Maybe we need another term for it. But when you're so far above your actual ability, <laughs> that it seems to push you onto something anyway. Great. I mean, the Champions League is going to be fascinating for United, isn't it? When's the actual draw made for the, those games? And when, when can we expect to see those, those big names coming to Lee Sports Village or Odd Trafford? So I- I think they've they've done the draw for the round one of qualifying, I think. And then there's, it's, it's strange how it works. There's a, a champions path and a league path. And then there's yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, a, a four-team groups where they play a semi-final and then the finalists. So it's not a group as we would expect it. It's just a mini tournament. And then yeah. the winners go through to round two and join the teams that are already in that. So I'm not sure when we know who's in round two in full. But some of the teams on the list that United could potentially face in the qualifiers, which are on the the last two weeks of October, this first and second leg, and Real Madrid are a possibility. Wolfsburg, BK Hacken, I believe, are in there. Okay. Who am I missing? I'm definitely missing somebody who's... There are some big names that we could face, which, as far... The kind of teams that if we lost a semi-final to, you'd say we'd done really well. But if we lose in a qualifier to, you'll say we'd failed to even qualify and it's a failure yeah. despite it being against the same kind, same level of team so you kind of want the big names because you want to see us play against them you want to test us but you kind of want an easy ride to get into the groups and guarantee that that six games that you get in the group stages yeah well spread yeah, having a, an incredible history in yeah in european football and real madrid much newer team right? one of the last big clubs around europe to to start a women's team i think yeah but they've i think they have as Real Madrid do, I think they have thrown money at it and, and reached levels that it's easy for people to compare to United and say they're newer than us and look where they are. But they have been typical Real Madrid and, and pumped the money in and, and kind of forced themselves to that level. So mm-hmm. as, as new as they are, they've they've got some talent, which well, you'd be, I'd be confident with us going into any game at the minute, but they're always going to be a threat. All right, and and before we leave, tell us about the fan scene. I mean, you're I think just off air, you're saying tennis shoes in now. What's the reaction been to that? And such a lot of work putting one of these things together. So so how do you go about building it and and getting it out there? As as much as we talked earlier about Twitter being only the bottom half of of the internet, it's been necessary. I'm I'm yeah. not a big tweeter. I'm more of a reader on Twitter, but I do yeah. find myself having to try and push myself to to tweet more and get it out there because. The size of the crowd at the game isn't enough to sustain it. You need that online presence and online sales, which I'd say it's probably quite even for online and, and at the match sales. Either one drops and, and it wouldn't carry on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, getting it out there on Twitter as much as possible. I've got a Substack newsletter so that we're not relying on the algorithm for people to see a tweet when a new one comes out. I can drop an, a newsletter right, right in the inbox to, mm-hmm. to make sure people know it's available. I started because from going to Old Trafford all those years, one of the key sounds that I remember from those days are the, the shouts of the fanzine sellers. Yeah. Uh, Red News United, we stand, and of course, Red Issue when that was around. Yeah. And the, you walk it to the ground and, and you hear that, and that's that along with the sound of the old turnstiles, you know, the big clunk, click, click, yeah. click. And the, the other one I would say is before, before in the East Stand Lower, we were standing up all the time. You'd be sat down, you'd stand up for an attack and the seats hit in the back of the seat yeah. as they flipped up would sound like thunder coming along. So so those three for me are, are three kind of core memory sounds from, from watching football. 
And so fanzine's been such a big part of that. It was just always there when I, I went watching United Men. I wrote a couple of times for Red News. And I always thought there should be one. There should be one for the women's team. There's a lot of thirst for content. A couple of YouTube channels popped up. Mm-hmm. And I thought printed version, it's it's traditional. It's the classic. It's it, it, You can't be knee-jerk when you're printing a magazine. You've got to be considered. You can't you can't throw one opinion out on a YouTube video one day and then throw you know, retract it the next and change your mind. Yeah, so you've got to. I think it's a, it's something that was missing for the for the women's game. There was content popping up everywhere, but I, th- I thought that was a huge gap. And then I thought, well, I can't sit here thinking it should exist and wait for somebody else to do it. So I asked around a few people and got a few people involved who had the necessary skills to put it together. And, and we got issue one out at the end of two summers ago. So there were no matches to sell it at. It was purely sold online. And since then, each issue was funded the next one. I interviewed Casey Stoney after she'd left. In a later issue, I interviewed Willie Kirk, who mm-hmm. was the assistant manager at the beginning and left after six months to go manage Everton. He's now managing Leicester and kept them up. So I interviewed him as an ex-assistant manager. I also interviewed Rachel Brown-Finnis as she's an admirer of United and, and was involved in a conversation in the early days around that that we talked about the difference in support. And in the early days, you didn't know if singing songs was accepted. Can I do this? There's not nobody else doing it. Mm-hmm. And she said to, to Natalie, who was around from the beginning as well, love the singing, keep it up. She was there to, to kind of reassure us that the players want that. So it was interesting to to get her involvement and interview her for the fanzine as well. Also done a couple of interviews with some ex-players who played before we were disbanded in 2005. So it was great to get their insight on those who, the, the kind of pay-to-play generation. And it, the, the journey it's taken me on to, to meet these people and, and talk about things that I hadn't really considered before. It's it's been great for me to get involved in that and, and learn it firsthand and then to, to put that into words and pass it on. And, and also to get other people involved because I don't want it to be 20 pages of my opinion. Yeah. I want there to be as many people involved as possible. I want people who disagree to write it down and put it in. I want conflicting arguments in there side by side. I want it to be re- as representative as possible. And uh, Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm loving that side of it, the kind of not bringing people together as such. I wouldn't claim that much, but but at least providing some kind of a platform that anybody can can contribute to. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think I think fanzines do a really important job of reflecting one part of the fan base. It doesn't have to be for everybody. And, and print media is obviously somewhat old-fashioned in the internet age, but it does, it stands the test of time, but just super hard. So, you know, many congratulations to... I'm sure the many, many hours you put into to getting that out there. And as we know, with like even like Red News, Barney's like always on the edge, right? Of being able to make it sustainable because print costs money and and it's difficult and there are many things that get in your way and and all of that. So yeah, many many congrats and uh, yeah, keep it up. Maybe I write a piece for you. Absolutely. Any anybody's welcome. The view from across the pond. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I, I mean, before we came on air, I was expressing my frustrations of sport in America, you know, much as I'd love to love what the locals do, I really can't. So I, I find 
almost no excitement going to the Sounders at all. In fact, we've got a, a hyper-local club that's tier four of the American soccer system. That's, I think, we get about 2,000 people going each week. It's nice. It's a nice feel. Yeah. feel it actually feels, the atmosphere feel, feels very similar. Yeah. So a lot of women's games I've been to. I think that, that probably, like, what I, my view of women's football, when people say, what got you into women's football? It's similar kind of thing. I tried watching the women's football show before United had a team. And it didn't matter what level it was. People people call it because it's not as good as this level. It's tier four men's equivalent or whatever. But for me, the reason I couldn't get into it was because I didn't care. Yeah. It wasn't until Maybe United had a team. care about, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I would say, even in men's football, that I'm a United fan before I am a football fan. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need. You need you need a horse in the race. If, yeah. If there was a United team that played tiddlywinks you'd it'd give you something to support and cheer for it's it's the shirt that you're supporting and I think that's been that's been the huge draw to women's football for me is that it's it's another United team that I can get behind and it feels grassroots again it feels like kind of what men's football has gone so far away from in in that sense well yeah exactly well, good, good point to start. May, Andy, many thanks. Tell us where we can find your fanzine if anyone who's listening wants to either pick one up at the game, hopefully, or, or buy one online. So on Twitter, uh, SL8R7. And in my bio, there's a link tree which has links to the Substack. I do now have a podcast, which is weekly throughout the season. It's just 15 minutes long each episode and shows the store of where it can be bought. Uh if you Google Barmy article, it'll there's, there's not much else with that name, so you'll you'll find it that way as well. If you are at Lee Sports Village, I stand across from the main stand just outside Morrison's, and I'm there almost every home game, catching the people that aren't on Twitter but still come and check in if there's a new new issue. If you don't want to buy it but you just want to come and say hello and ask a question about it, come along because those match day interactions are another of the big pluses that yeah that I've found from from going through this process. But if you can support it, if you like it, sign up for the sub stack. If you like that, maybe buy an issue. And then if you like that, maybe buy the next one and the one after. Perfect. Andy, thank you very much. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.